Okay, this is LTD class, session seven. And um, we're missing some retreat people today. But uh, I guess they can listen to the podcast. I'm glad that you are here, uh, even with the uh, fall rain and all this. Um, that's a Hoosier saying, and all this, all this. Um, I was going to tell you that all these different Hoosier sayings, I, I, I need to apologize to the Hoosiers here. We have a few. And uh, <laughs> um, I, uh, I said something about goofy Hoosier sayings, and I, I, I heard it from a couple of people from Indiana. Um, <laughs> But um, I was actually going to use one of the words this morning, cantankerous, uh, cattywampus. Uh, I was trying to use some of the words we grew up with. And my kids, when I say some of these words, they're like, huh? What are you talking about? Take a swig of that. Uh, huh? Uh, I don't know. There's just a bunch of stuff we used to say. Not anymore. Um, it all means something. It all came from somewhere. And um, today we are kind of finishing out a little bit with what we called um, the God-haters, pulling that phrase from Romans 1. It ends up that, you know, it's not just, um, you know, five people who have bad ideas. It's that Satan tries to help human beings have bad ideas all the time. <laughs> and then he helps them to uh, kind of cooperate or in a way conspire with him uh, to bring about um, a normalcy in the world that is quite evil. That's kind of his basic game plan. Anybody remember the 4D strategy Satan has? It's uh, borne out in the entire Bible. Uh, almost every chapter of the Bible, it's borne out. The four Ds of Satan's strategy, very, very predictable. The first one is in the garden to deceive, right? So you need to have this in the back of your mind. The Apostle Peter says, hey, you need to be alert. You need to know that Satan is out there gunning for you. Um, he only has so much time left and he's done. So he is kind of trying to mess up your mind and other people's minds. So the first thing he does is he deceives you. And sometimes he deceives us from the time we're pretty young. Uh, you want, you know, this, this deception thing is interesting. It's why that in some societies education, the education system is used in a certain way. Um, because, in essence, there is a, a deceptive baseline um, that Satan would really like every human being to have that helps them to move full force into sin, the sin cycle, which will destroy them, and that's the last D. First D is deception. The last D is destruction. And in the middle, you have distraction, distraction and division. I guarantee you, this is, you can see Satan coming if you pay attention to these four Ds. 
First, he's going to deceive you. He's going to deceive somebody around you, maybe both of you. Then he is going to distract you nonstop with a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter in eternity. He's going to distract you. <coughs> and he'll keep doing it. He'll actually make you numb sometimes. He will make you numb with distractions and noise and nonsense and activity. Uh, he'll wear you down with distraction alone. So you and I may know some of the truth, and then we get distracted, right? I know the truth, and then, you know, somebody in traffic does some really dumb thing. <laughs> and I momentarily, <laughs> I momentarily lose my place because he tried to kill me in the car. Anyway, uh, we, we get distracted by everything, everything. And uh, with all the technology, just multiply out the distractions. And then the middle one is division. Um, and this is uh, one of the things that these writers that we're talking about, the five God-haters, one of the things that they knew full well, um, and Karl Marx in particular, was um, that if you want to get control of a situation, you divide people up. You pit them against each other. You want to get control? You get all these other people fighting. And you're the only one who is kind of above it. But it's a tremendous manipulation, a great manipulation. And we know that Satan is not only the great deceiver and the father of all lies, but he is the great manipulator. He is constantly manipulating people and situations in such a way that it's favorable toward him, toward sin. Um, why do you think that God purposed that there be unity in the body of Christ? Why, why do you think the apostles talk about unity in the body of Christ, in Christ, everybody in Christ? One. Why do you think Jesus Christ was praying about it in John 17? Everybody becoming one. What's the deal with that? What's so important about that? Why is unity of human beings around God who put them here so crucial to the gospel, to the good news? It is. It is because Satan is constantly dividing human beings. He divides up families. You've seen that? Yeah, he's constantly trying to divide up families. He's trying to mess up relationships, divide human beings up, and he divides them up in categories. That's another interesting thing Satan does. He puts you in a certain category that makes you different from everybody else. Guess what God does? God doesn't put you in a different category. He wants you to be in the category, in Christ. He wants you to belong to Him. He wants you to be listening to Him. He doesn't want you being shoved or manipulated into a bunch of different boxes and categories. You belong to God. He made you in His image. But Satan doesn't like that. Satan wants to divide 
you up from everybody else, divide us up for all different kinds of reasons, take your pick, 5,000 different reasons, it doesn't matter. He wants to divide us up, but God's idea is just the opposite. Just the opposite. And I'm telling you, all the stuff that's going on in, in the news, on TV, uh, internet, so much of that is, is dividing people up, not just politically, but dividing people up uh, even from a kind of a social aspect. I'm like, come on, man. Uh, the, the Bible talks about all this coming from one man. Remember that? This was uh, Acts 17. We all came from one man. Uh, this is a, a point that God is trying to make. He's trying to make a point. I made you in my image. Don't be dividing this thing up and it getting all fragmented in every direction and you get crossways with each other about 5,000 different things. Don't, don't do that. But it's only possible for that not to happen when you're in Christ. Otherwise, what is your, you know, what's the, what is the benefit? You know, you just, you just kind of get deceived. You get rolled up in all of this negativity and all this division. And the next thing you know, you're not just thinking about God. You're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about a certain group. You're thinking about a bunch of stuff connected to that. But you're not necessarily thinking about spiritual things. You know, the stuff that goes on in the world and the, is the noisiest in the world is meant to distract, to deceive, to divide. And in the end, in the end, when all of these things are at work, uh, we are destroyed by them. Relationships are destroyed. All five of these God-haters, their minds actually were destroyed. You give your mind over to something other than the truth, you're going to have some real issues mentally, <laughs> mentally and emotionally, not just spiritually. You're going to have some mental issues if you don't hold on to the truth of God. And all these people proof of that. They're proof of that. They, they had serious chronic illnesses, all kinds of addictions, all kinds of problems. And at least a couple of them, uh, well, including Heidegger and a few other people, went insane. People that were related to these folks. You can't just think whatever you want to think without any consequences. You know what one of the consequences of thinking wrongly is? You harm yourself. You harm your own brain. Your own brain doesn't have the right footing. If you don't believe in objective truth, your brain is going to go to mush. If you don't believe in the God who put you here, and you start pretending all kinds of other things, your brain is going to go to mush, and your soul is going to go dark. And that's what Satan wants. He wants it. So this 4D strategy of Satan is always at work. I, you can see it all day long. You watch the news for very long, right there. All 4Ds. Bam, 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 bam. All directions. I mean, all directions. <coughs> Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. You and I have been saved by the one who put us here. And only he can make you whole again, a whole person again, spiritually and otherwise, 
Only he can give you footing to begin thinking about things in the right way because he is not only the living word bringing the truth, he is the truth. He is the truth. That's why he is the light. Um, okay, now, just one other thing i got to throw in here before I finish out is, um, and, I, and I actually made this point pretty strongly before about Karl Marx, but there are other people that get put at the same level with Jesus. You notice that? Not only is Christianity just one among religions, and some of those religions are actually cults and are totalitarian systems and they're bogus, they're not even religion. They're not binding people back to the living God, what religion means. <coughs> um, but you have people like Mahatma Gandhi, <clears throat> you know. You have people actually talking about Mahatma Gandhi and a bunch of other people like him, and sometimes even Karl Marx, Karl Marx in the same, it's the same level as Jesus Christ who is God. Okay, don't be putting Jesus Christ next to some other human being. Because you, you're missing the boat. You are missing the boat. You don't understand who Jesus Christ is. But only God can save you. Only God is your Savior. God says in Ezekiel, I'm going to come look for you. I'm going to find you. I'm going to shepherd you. And then Jesus Christ shows up in John 10 saying, I am the good shepherd. I am I'm here, you hear my voice, you know my voice, you follow me. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Only he can save us. So, I say all of this to kind of try to clear some deception out of the way because you and I, growing up in the world, you know, you're exposed to all this stuff nonstop. And after a while, you know, a bunch of stuff seeps in and you don't really know where you're at. Um, I, I'm actually, uh, next time, going to do a thing where I have things on the uh, PowerPoint, and I'm going to say, is this true or a lie? I'm going to test you. We're going to go through a bunch of different things. Even famous people have said, is this a, a truth or a lie? Is it? If you, you have got to be able to figure that out. Jesus Christ, early on, says, you cannot serve two masters. You know what this means? For one thing, <laughs> it means that you cannot do everything the world's doing and what God wants you to. That's what that means. Jesus Christ came teaching, you have to make a choice. Every day you have to make a choice. Jesus Christ himself woke up every day and he made a choice as a human being on earth. He made a choice to trust in the Father, to listen to the Father, to speak the truthful words of the Father, not his own. This is an example for us. This is an example for us. Um, so, from early on, Jesus is talking about this. And then we hear the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. He says, 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, 18 and 19. If you want to write it down. Do not deceive yourselves. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that's even worse. <laughs> not only do you have to worry about Satan deceiving you and a bunch of other people around you deceiving you and these five God, God haters and their thousands of followers, you have millions of followers, you actually have to look out for yourself. You could actually be telling yourself or letting Satan tell you some things that are wrong. Even about yourself. Anybody here ever beat themselves up constantly over in the corner? Nobody's looking. Beating yourself up. You're guilty about feeling guilty about some things and like, okay, Satan is messing with you. He's messing with you. Now you may need to get some things straight with God. Go ahead and get them straight with God. But he is messing with you. He's trying to tangle you all up. He's trying to distract you. He's trying to divide you away from God. He's trying to move you away from God. And usually what happens when you and I get in those situations, we also want to move away from people or from other Christians. <clears throat> There's a withdrawal aspect to it. <clears throat> so when Satan gets in there wedging stuff and telling us the wrong stuff you know, in our heads, uh, or we're listening to the wrong people, uh, he puts a wedge in there. Not only between us and God, but then with other people. It happens every single time. The dividing factor. He, he is trying to use division in the worst possible way. Uh, God is uh, all about multiplication. Um, Satan seems to be about division, breaking things down, fragmenting things into nothingness. But in this passage, do not deceive yourselves. The wisdom, quote unquote, of this world is foolishness in God's sight. The stuff that fills bookstores and universities right now all over the planet. And people are like still, they're still like ruminating over Martin Heidegger's concepts about time and being. Still, you know, they're still, they're still absorbing the uh, obtuseness of some of these different philosophers and it helps them in no way. Helps them in no way. It doesn't help them. Because the reality is, it's just a bunch of words. It's not the truth. It's not the truth. It's foolishness to God. Now, I hope that's clear enough for you that the stuff that the world thinks is so great, you know, education is going to save us. Technology is going to save us. Medication is going to save us. No. The God who made you has already done what is necessary to save you. And a lot of this other stuff, there is some deception in it. Human beings, part of our inclination towards sin even, has to do with this deception thing. Satan was playing Eve. He, he knew it. He knew it. He had free will. He was playing them. He, he knew. I've, if I say partly the truth and then put this other hook in there, I got him. Well, the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. Total foolishness. Um, okay, there are a few other uh, scriptures. We talked about last time, page 8. Uh, there are also a few um, encouraging quotes um, <coughs> having to do with 
uh, spiritual truth uh, by some interesting people who read the Word of God. And um, one of those on page 9 is uh, Thomas Akempis, in his book, uh, The Imitation of Christ, said, whomever would fully understand the words of Christ must endeavor to conform his life wholly to the life of Christ. You hear what that was? Whoever would fully understand the words of Christ, in order to get understanding, he must endeavor to conform his life wholly to the life of Christ. Until you and I are trying to apply the word of God to ourselves and to our living every day, to become more like Christ, the way he talks about, he's training us, Luke 640, he's training us, he's trying to build the house up. If you and I are doing this, we will begin to, do you ever notice that? You have, you have to be a Christian for like, I don't know, years. <laughs> Certain things dawn on you. you go, this is nuts. This, this is clearer than anybody wants to know. The world is such a mess. But you have to be fully applying the teaching of Jesus to become like him, to begin to understand how clear the truth is. And it's part of what the Hebrew writer talks about in terms of taking away the veil. You know, He's transforming us into the image of his son, increasingly into the image of his son. He takes away the veil. When you, guys, when you and I are baptized into Christ, we become, we become uh, indwelled by his spirit. We become his. The sin is, is out of there. We actually, we actually are at a place now where he can begin to instruct us because we have submitted ourselves to him. And every day we're trying to wake up like Jesus and submit ourselves to the Father to do his will, to please him, trusting him more and more. That's the whole deal. It's the whole deal. It's the way things were designed. Um, so, okay, let me just finish up here real quick with uh, a couple other things I wanted to tell you about um, <laughs> the last few of these, uh, of these what we call God-haters. Um, there's a couple things about Karl Marx I think you need to know. Uh, there's so much stuff. I mean, I, I don't even know where to start with all this, but there's a few things that you just need to know. Karl Marx, uh, born in Germany, he and Friedrich Engels wrote together the Communist Manifesto. And they thought this is the guidebook for communism. This is the guidebook for Marxism. Um, and Engels, inside of this manifesto, one of the things it says is if you inherit money from somebody, you really shouldn't keep it. It's not really yours. You should like give it to some other people or the state or something. But you're not really entitled to any inheritance because you're not really entitled to own anything. That's, that's basically it. You don't get to own anything. But it just happens that Friedrich Engels got a big inheritance that he and Karl Marx lived off of their entire lives. Now this is odd. 
to say the least. They're proposing ideas that they can't live by. Karl Marx went to the library every day after he got thrown out of France. He got thrown out of his home country, Germany, because he was causing problems. You know that division thing? He was causing problems with his nifty little ideas. So they threw him out of his home country of Germany. They threw him out of France because he was going around France trying to turn every little village and town into a commune, personally. Now, I've read stuff on Google that says, well, Marx just wrote some stuff. He didn't really propagate it himself. Other faithful followers made that happen, you know, like Vladimir Lenin. <coughs> um, he, he didn't really get behind this and, and go around pushing things. No, he did. He did. He spent, he spent some years doing it. He tried to live in Brussels then for a while. They threw him out of Belgium because everywhere he went, he caused problems. He was trying to subvert the governments of those countries. That was what it was all about. He was trying to cause problems, conflict. And there's this nifty little book right here called Civil War in France, the Paris Commune, written by Karl Marx and V.I. Lenin. Nice little book. Nice little book. 1871. They were sowing the seeds for civil war in Europe. They were sowing the seeds for the coming world wars. Right there. Right there. Vladimir Lenin, his most faithful follower. He and Stalin killed 70 million human beings. Probably more than Hitler. Thank you, Carl. Thank you. Um, I wish people would read a little bit more, do a little more research. Um, you know, not, you, have, you don't have to read hundreds of books. Pretty good to read 30, 40 books. <coughs> 30, 40 books, not, uh, not using the internet. That would be good. And if you can find older books that actually haven't been edited, I just, I just read a book about <laughs> Nietzsche's friend uh, Heidegger, Martin Heidegger, who was a Nazi. Yeah, there are links. There are links. Ah, yeah. Hitler read Nietzsche's writings almost constantly. Yeah. Friedrich Nietzsche, the one who actually is really responsible for postmodernism in the biggest possible way, where nothing, there's no absolute truth, there are no facts, only interpretation. You get to make up your inter interpretation on the spot. Whoever has the most power, they win. Thank you so much, Friedrich. That's a brilliant idea. That's what the world works on. That's what's happening right now. It's crazy. The whole thing's crazy. Uh, anyway, read something. There's, uh, there's actually, it's, it's really short, but it's there's an interesting book called uh, The Ten Books That uh, Screwed Up the World, <laughs> which is pretty interesting. Um, but um, yeah, once you've read, you know, 50, 60, 100 books, you start realizing they're not really teaching this in universities, uh, the, the, the actual reality of this. Uh, they're kind of making all these things uh, sound good. 
without really realizing who the human beings are. Now, you know my whole point about even talking about five people has to do with their character, who these individuals are. The ideas originated with them. Now, Charles Darwin had some help from his grandpa, Erasmus, who had some evolutionary ideas before him. And uh, all the people in that area where he lived, you know, talked about Darwinizing even from his grandpa. So, you know, he had influences, other influences, but you just, you have these ideas and then people aren't portraying where it came from properly. You're actually going to tell me to ignore the word of God and what he says through Moses about Genesis? You're going to tell me to ignore that and to accept some English guy's construct of how animal changed to a different animal, to a different animal, to a different animal? Darwin himself said before he died in his personal journal, he said, 100 years from now, somebody is going to find massive fault with my theory and something else is going to take over. He knew that there were some things wrong with his basic construct. And now, as of two years ago, we know definitively through DNA testing, through the Genome Project, that all of what Darwin was saying, all eight or ten icons of Darwinism are incorrect, impossible, according to the decoding of DNA strands. Impossible. And yet, it's being taught everywhere. You get in trouble if you question evolution. Right? I got in trouble in eighth grade when I questioned evolution. My teacher, Mr. Query, he thought, man, are you being impudent? I said, I'm not being impudent. <laughs> it's another one of those words. <coughs> so you, really, you really believe that that construct makes more sense than God as a life force starting everything, designing everything with complexity and maintaining it with great complexity. And now, all the microbiologists, all the molecular scientists are, are finding out, they're becoming intelligent design people because they're realizing it is impossible. All of what evolution says is impossible. And everything attached to it. But some people, that's what you grew up with, everybody grew up with it. It's gonna be interesting how long that takes, but anyway. <coughs> you need to do some research. You need to have some guts. You need to speak the truth uh, about all kinds of things. Um, so, okay, a little bit about Marx there. Um, if you ever want to read it, Communist Manifesto. It's simple, but it's deadly. Uh, it basically takes away your personal freedoms. Uh, today, people call it socialism. It's not. It's only Marxism. It came from Marx's head. Communism and socialism are about the same. Europeans thought it was nicer to say socialism because they were against communism. But somehow, with all of Marx's moving around and all of his followers, it, it took hold in Europe, too. Uh, Friedrich Nietzsche not only had um, a direct impact on Adolf Hitler, 
But uh, he and Martin Heidegger wrote a bunch of different things, um, almost parallel. And then I'm going to tell you one more thing about Nietzsche, and then I'm, we're, we're done with all this, okay? But you need to know this. <coughs> uh, in his different writings out of his journals, um, Nietzsche says, in Christianity, now listen closely, <laughs> in Christianity, neither morality nor religion come in contact, uh, neither morality nor religion come in contact with reality at any point. Nothing but imaginary causes, God, the soul, spirit, free will, uh, nothing but imaginary effects, sin, redemption, grace, punishment, forgiveness of sins, uh, a traffic between imaginary beings, gods, uh, gods, souls, an imaginary natural science, um, imaginary psychology. You know, I, the guy is already starting to go nuts. He's the one who's disconnected from reality. If you look at his time period, you look at his time period, he is bucking the status quo, which is God and Jesus Christ centered, even with the paganism that existed. It was God centered. Everything he was saying was in, was in order to get rid of God. And I think even Ricky's talked about this, in order to do whatever they wanted to do. That's just the way it is. Um, Okay, so there's, uh, there's that. Um, the, um, seemed like there was a couple other things, but the, the last thing has to do with hermeneutics. You ready for this, hermeneutics? You know what hermeneutics are? <coughs> okay, the word related to hermeneutics, hermaneo, uh, it just means interpreting, but in the New Testament, where that word is used, it means interpreting actual words, linguistic interpretation. Where you say a word in one language, I say it in another language, the equivalent word. Okay? That's the usage of the word connected to hermeneutics in the New Testament. It, it has nothing to do with the interpreting of symbols. It has nothing to do with the interpreting. It's linguistic. It's totally linguistic, word for word. It is not about interpreting dreams. And yet, a lot of Christians and even theologians were tricked by Friedrich Nietzsche, who came up with this wonderful idea. Actually, he and several other guys had this idea. And there was a guy named Ludwig Feuerbach. That's a nice name, isn't it? Uh, Feuerbach. Anyway, Ludwig Feuerbach was kind of the, uh, he was supposed to be Christian, he was supposed to be a theologian, but he's the one who kind of helped push uh, Nietzsche's ideas into the uh, German uh, theology schools, especially Göttingen, uh, Tübingen, and um, Erlangen. And uh, so what you had in this time period and afterwards is you have the most radical anti-word of God ideas coming out 
of those theology schools and going into America. Yes, it was the latest thing. If you wanted to be a theologian, you had to study something about this higher criticism, these radical theologians who are questioning the meaning of the Word of God. Uh, Nietzsche acts like a drink some. <laughs> Nietzsche said, um, okay, you remember this Greek god? He was into Greek mythology. This is why Hitler loved Greek mythology. This is why all Germans during later years loved Greek mythology. They were in love with Greek pagan mythology, even though it was all pretend. Fictitious, not real. No reality therein. The Greeks never said this was reality. The Greeks said these are just stories somebody made up to explain something because they didn't want to accept the truth of the living God. Nietzsche latches on to Greek mythology and the, the Greek God is Hermes. And Hermes, when he communicated, apparently was trying to trick people with his messages. Can you imagine a god who tries to send messages but tricks you in the process? Very interesting. Kind of a dumb idea, Friedrich. <coughs> but he latched on to it and he said, you know what? We need to be able to interpret, he's the one who said no facts, facts don't exist, only interpretation. So with, with hermeneutics, he actually says each individual gets to project their own interpretation, their own meaning out of their current time that's totally disassociated with what the writer intended. The context of it, you can, you can impose anything you want to out of your brain onto these literary texts, and it's brilliant. It's a brilliant thing to do. And Feuerbach, who was already starting to undermine Christianity, said, we need this in the theology schools. So now, what you have in every Christian college, every seminary on the face of the earth, is hermeneutics because of Friedrich Nietzsche and his friend Ludwig Feuerbach. But it helps no one. It helps no one. Because the premise is wrong. The premise is that a human being can come to this thing like any other literary work, you know, like, Homer and the Odyssey. No, uh, the, the Bible is history. It's history. The first part of the Bible is written by Moses, a historical figure who actually had a relationship with the living God. And people in the Egyptian cultures knew this. Other people knew about this in history. There's a, a, a historical context. But just like uh, Karl Marx, these guys don't want history to exist because it makes it easier for them to perpetrate their lies. They can say whatever they want to say. They can put any kind of interpretation on any text they want to. And you can do that with the U.S. Constitution. You can do that with the Word of God. You can do that with any poem you want to, regardless of what the original intent was. Uh, this does not sound like a very good idea to me. Um, and it's one of the reasons why the world is in such a mess. Um, it's the undermining of meaning. This is why some people call him a nihilist. 
Nietzsche a nihilist? Uh, he's, he's all about chaos, uh, anarchy. Uh, he's undermining the underpinnings of rationality. That's why. So you don't want to be accepting ideas from people who hate God, who, who are not kind human beings, who are perpetrating evil in order to get rid of God. Yes, Steve Cozio. Um, well, the first thing is the premise of it um, allows every person who sits down with the Word of God to not really seek the will of God, to seek understanding for the truth of God, but in our society today, in culture today, uh, <laughs> because of humanism, we almost can't go backwards, because of humanism uh, and its effects uh, after these guys, Every individual in the West feels like they have the right. They have the right to project their own meaning onto anything they read. And I've heard this in Bible studies. I hear people saying stuff in Bible studies. They're projecting out of where they're at currently, and they're totally misunderstanding the context of what Paul was saying, you know, with Aristarchus and with Tychicus. They're misunderstanding the point of it in the context of that time, of, of that congregation, of their issues, and, and then you can apply it. But you don't just, you know, read something and say, oh yeah, I, I had a job one time and it was really hard. No, you, you actually have to pay attention to the historical context, number one, and, and you can't just put whatever you want to on it. Um, yeah. That's, that's a linguistic interpreting issue, and, and you, you can get there without having to go through a human uh, hermeneutics. You, um, <coughs> there, there is a possibility that you know, very, very scholarly translators might vary a little bit on the equivalency words. You know, it's possible in, in a language like Hebrew or Aramaic, but. Um, but for instance, the New Testament being written in Greek, in Koine Greek, uh, is for a reason. Because Koine Greek has uh, a lot more clarity than English does. And sometimes, you know, uh, things get translated in a certain way, it's like it's not exactly that. Uh, in Koine Greek, there is a, uh, a notable specificity uh, to the meaning of those words, and it's helpful. Um, yeah, <coughs> okay, so anyway, um, I just, I needed to mention that, what time is it? Are we done? Yeah. Well, that's a fine <laughs> Okay, well, I just need to say a few more things about these human beings because the point is, what's the point? The point is, you have to know the origin of the idea. If people are saying certain words on TV all the time, 
Where did those words come from? Why are they having these assumptions? Why are they saying things in this way? You need to know the origin of the idea so you know the person or persons it came from, what kind of people they were, and then you put that next to the God who thought you up, who thought you up, made AJ in just the right way. You are putting the God who is maintaining the most complex physical system possible, including your own body and your own brain, moment to moment, instant to instant. You're putting his character, his goodness, his mercy, his kindness next to what? The character of these people who have some ideas. This is where discernment begins. If you cannot begin to start doing this, you'll, you'll be deceived over and over and over. The starting place is you have to really get to know the truth of God in order to begin to determine what is a lie. And you may be shocked. You know, uh, Cheryl and I over the years, we've been kind of shocked at different times. Things that we were taught, things that we assumed, things that we heard, things that, you know, at the university, that was just a baseline thing. No, that's not really the way it was. Um, you, you and I need to get very uh, focused on, on discernment because it's, uh, it's important to Jesus or he wouldn't be talking about this thing of uh, serving one master because if you lose focus, Satan has you. This is Matthew 5, 8. Jesus says, the people who are going to see God are the ones who are going to stay focused on God. They're the ones who are not mixed in their thinking. Kadaroi en karya. Matthew 5, 8. That's what Jesus was talking about. And it's the only way that you can end up serving him because he says, you know what? You will devote yourself to one and you'll end up despising the other. So if you don't figure out the truth and line yourself up with God and stand with him, you're in big trouble. So I'm just trying to help you, okay? Um, and I can only tell you so much, but just dive back in the word, dive back into Proverbs, back into Psalms. Um, one of the things that uh, one other writer said, Jean-Pierre uh, de Cossade uh, in France, page nine again, says faith tears aside the veil so that we can see the everlasting truth. I think he read the Bible pretty closely. <coughs> faith, trusting our maker and sustainer tears aside the veil of deception so that we can see the everlasting truth. What will be true forever when all the noise is gone? Okay, God bless you.